Hello, I'm Michael Hainsworth. The C.D. Howe Institute's Fiscal and Tax Working Group is urging Ottawa to recommit to the idea of fiscal sustainability. As we contemplate a second wave of COVID-19, governments are continuing to incur deficits in the near term to address that significant output gap in our economy. But the group, co-chaired by former Federal Minister of Finance John Manley and former Saskatchewan Finance Minister Janice McKinnon, urges establishing what a clear fiscal anchor should look like. I began our conversation by pointing out Canada is doing much better than most nations, as the Americans have a 108% debt-to-GDP ratio, and in Japan it's north of 230%. McKinnon says we need to look deeper. Well, it's a, a provincial, former provincial finance minister. I would say that you have to look at the significant limitations of that number. That looks at the federal government, and yes, the federal government uh, looks as you say. But if you look at provincial debt, and provincial debt, if you walk into Moody's, as I did as a provincial finance minister, they don't say, which part of Canada are you from? It's all one, for credit rating purposes, one entity, because the federal government would, in the end, be responsible for a provincial uh, fiscal problem if it went to the extreme. If you look at the provincial debt, provinces have some of the highest subnational debt in the world, you have to add into that corporate debt, personal debt, and also some of the debt numbers, most of the debt numbers are net debt. We got big pension liabilities. So I think it's very simplistic to use only the federal number, and it gives us a sense of comfort that I think is not helpful in the long term. And I'd also point out, Michael, those those are, are two uh, very disparate examples that you give. In the case of the United States, as the international reserve currency, they seem to be able to, quite frankly, finance their debt with abandon. Uh, for whatever reason, the world believes that the U.S. dollar is mostly a safe haven when things get rocky, and so that's where they want to go. If you know, if at some point that shifts. Uh, then uh, the dynamic of how we deal with a U.S. sovereign debt crisis is something I don't even want to contemplate. In the case of Japan, uh, they've they've had quite a few decades of, of fairly anemic economic growth. And what they seem to be able to do, because they are a nation of savers, which as... Janice points out is a little different in Canada where we, we both household and corporate have quite a high level of debt. In Japan, they finance most of their debt domestically. So um, in, instead of uh, one way of looking at the trade-off that they exercise there is instead of having high taxes to finance their government spending and balance their budgets, they finance it by paying very low interest rates to their domestic saving population. So uh, Japanese are very disciplined people. They're willing to lend their government money at very low interest rates uh, and to leave it there. And they've been doing that for, uh, for a very long time. If offering advice that prevents debt from growing faster than the economy and the tax base is the goal of the working group, 
How does COVID-19 change the advice the group would have otherwise provided policymakers, or or does it change it at all? COVID-19, in my mind, is an example of why the general principle needs to be applied when things are reasonably, uh, reasonably good. We should not be running deficits when the economy is expanding. We should be paying down debt so that when the black swan event arrives, as it did in 2008, and as it has, ha- has done in 2020, then you're in a position to be able to take the extreme measures that have to be taken to uh, shelter the economy from the ravages that would otherwise befall it. So I don't think anyone in the working group faults the government for going into massive uh, spending programs to protect income for Canadians and for, for many businesses in a situation in which we have a globally government-mandated economic downturn. The problem is when we come out of that, let's not think that this kind of borrowing can go on indefinitely. Let's instead be disciplined enough to begin to, uh, to get ourselves back into that desirable place where we can spend if and when we have to in the future. And I think if you look at the pandemic, you know, people will look in future back at the decision to do a complete shutdown. Was that necessary? Was that the right decision? But really, by mandating a shutdown, a government revenue just fell off a cliff, and a third of the workforce was either unemployed or underemployed, so they had to support them. But I think the issue is what, what hasn't occurred in Canada is the shift isn't being made from spending just to uh, increase transfers to individuals. And if you look at the money that's gone to individuals, they more than compensated for lost income. That is, they were giving money to people that was more than they had before. So um, that is an issue. And, but if you look forward, you can't just keep having programs that uh, provide benefits to people. They have to turn the page to spending to get the economy growing, to get people back to work. And I think that one of the issues the working group talked about that was really important is it's the kind of spending. Uh, consumption spending just for current consumption has to decline as the other kind of spending investment increases. It's like increasing the economic pie as opposed to just constantly redistributing it. There's not enough to continue redistributing. Well, taxpayer funds are often used to kickstart a stalled economy or help it weather, you know, as you point out, a black swan event, be it 9-11, the 2008 crash, or this pandemic. The working group writes about the competition for the same pool of capital and how public debt may displace private investment. When is the time to allow public finances to drive an economy? And what are the signals, perhaps most importantly, what are the signals for it to take a backseat? One thing you can say about government, it's not all knowing and all powerful. At best, you see through a glass darkly. You have to remember that an economy the size of Canada's is the sum total of millions and millions of discrete decisions made on a daily basis by economic actors from households to businesses to governments. And uh, it's not within the capacity of any government to rebuild the foundations of the Canadian economy. That's just not something government is capable of doing. So I, I, I think what government 
has had to do here is try to shelter Canadians from the worst impacts. That they can do. Uh, we have they have tools. They've made they've invented some new tools. They they spilled a lot of water on the way to the fire, as I'd say, as 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 Janice was pointing out. But that's within their capacity to do. What is going to get us out of this is when the the those millions of economic actors making their millions and millions of decisions day to day start to say, okay, we have confidence. We have confidence that the economy is is on a solid basis, that we can begin to invest again, that we can begin to consume again, that we can begin to live our lives again. What are those signals, though, that, that tell you that, yes, now it's time to pump the brakes on that spending and that stimulus effort? It's not a binary thing that it's on today and off tomorrow. But you do need to understand that you've got to rely at the end of the day on on the private actors in our economy. We, we can't run it out of Ottawa. I think if you look at the, the need for that to happen, you have to look back at the problems of Canada when we went into this. John has already mentioned that when we had very good economic times, the government was still running a deficit. So they spend in bad times, they spend in good times. But also, if you look at Canada on a global stage, before this occurred, before the pandemic, investment in Canada was declining. Canada's competitiveness was declining. And so there are fundamental economic weaknesses that the government needs to turn its attention to like yesterday. And uh, if they don't do that, it's going to be difficult for the private sector to just say, well, you know, we're going to start investing. So the climate for investment, some of the regulations that they've got in place. Um, and so yesterday they should have been dealing with some of those issues. And I, I, think, I think it's a mistake to say, well, you know, you turn the tap for one spending on programs for individuals, and now we're turning the tap to the economy. The economy has to be there because, as John said, the, the government doesn't have the power, the revenue, uh, the capacity, particularly in Canada, we have two very distinct levels of government to get the economy moving. It's got to be the private sector. And we were already struggling to get the private sector to do what was needed for long term growth in Canada. You have to, you, it's not, it's government, it's not just like a mathematical equation, oh, we've hit this, well, we're there. You always have to be thinking that what's the next step? Uh, support individuals in a very short period, short time frame. Continue a level of support that's uh, realistic, but not so generous that you're overcompensating. But all the time, what are you doing to get those many actors that John's talking about out there getting the economy moving? Because if you're not doing that, uh, you're not going to get to the next stage, which is the private sector growth. The group writes that higher taxing countries generally incur a higher economic cost when increasing incremental revenues through tax increases. But incremental debt finance spending can be socially beneficial if the benefits exceed the economic costs. Is there an equation for that? No. If you ask an economist, there's an equation. They reduce things to equation. <laughs> Simple political thinkers like myself, don't necessarily use the mathematical formula. You know, there are a lot of subjective elements to this. Clearly, when governments spend, it becomes a question of what are they spending on? And uh, if some of that expenditure 
is directed to building the economic capacity of the country, make it more productive, make it more competitive, uh, then those are good things. And those will reap benefits in the longer term. If it's simply programs that are meant to essentially be consumptive, uh, then you've got to make sure that you've got the revenue in order to pay for those. Because if you're borrowing for consumption, then you are going to ultimately find yourself being eaten alive by interest rates. Well, there are those on Bay Street who tell me interest rates are expected to remain near zero for a generation. I, I was talking to one 56-year-old CEO at an advisory firm. He says he doesn't see rates returning to these historical norms until long after he's dead. So can't government stabilize the debt-to-GDP ratio until he shuffles off his mortal coil? You know, the cost of borrowing an additional dollar certainly can't exceed the interest rate on incremental debt. But it sounds like we are in a, a lower-for-longer environment. Yeah, but you know what? <laughs> if only that person could guarantee that the world is going to unfold like that. Mm. Did that person anticipate the pandemic? I mean, you can't, it, it is totally unrealistic to say that anybody can predict where interest rates are going because there's an argument to be made on the other side. And so uh, Canada has to go out and borrow money uh, outside the country, persuade people that this is a good investment. And we have to, in, in order to do that, we have to, for example, show a plan to contain the current situation to get us back to a better fiscal situation, fiscal discipline, an anchor of some kind. And also as taxpayers, we should sit there and say, but, you know, it's okay for me. You know, the government wanted to help seniors, maybe seniors. So without any fiscal discipline, they said, well, let's just give the money to everybody getting old age security. And some of those people were writing back saying, I don't need the money. What are you doing? If there was any fiscal discipline in the government, they would have said, what's the most cost-effective way to help needy seniors? The ones on the guaranteed income supplement, which only goes to needy seniors. So this idea that you just keep spending and you don't kind of worry about what it's being spent on is really, really a serious problem. And there's examples. There's that one. There's the example of the, the programs being so generous, some people are better off than they were before. And so that's a discussion that's part of the spending discussion too. Take it to, you know, a reductio ad absurdum, Michael. You know, if that's true, then why are any of us, why is any of us working? <laughs> why, why don't we just print the money and distribute it around and live well? Well, the money's got to come from somewhere. Are you concerned about Canada becoming increasingly reliant on foreign sources of funding to finance our governments? Well, they are already. Plus, I'm worried about them becoming too reliant on the Bank of Canada buying their bonds. I think that this discussion, though, shows the problem. Um, because what I think former finance ministers are worried about, the idea is out there, well, spending is good, so spend. That's good. That looks like something spend. Spend it on that. That, that looks good. There's no discipline. Well, what are we trying to achieve with this spending? Is there limits to it? What's the most important kind of spending? If you don't get the economy going, you can't afford this spending in the long term. That's arguments lost. Well, this is good spending, that's good spending, we could afford this. And in the long term, and even in the medium term, that's not a sustainable future for Canada. And the risks for Canada are significant. 
And that's the debate that isn't occurring. That's exactly what we're trying to provoke with the work that we're we're doing uh, at the C.D. Howe Institute, this uh, this working group. Let's let's get a handle on what this means. Um, we've we've got a three hundred and fifty billion dollar deficit this year. That's a staggering number. We've never touched that kind of number in the past. Uh, but amazingly, the world hasn't ended. Just kind of what you're you're saying. We've we've printed some of the money. Uh, we've borrowed some of the money in uh, from Canadians and from international markets. Um, and others are all doing the same. It's kind of like uh, I've never done this, of course, but it's kind of like your first heroin shot. Felt pretty good. Nothing really terrible happened. It just felt good. So let's have another one. Let's do it again. Like we did it then and nothing bad happened. What about this time? What about this cause? This is worthy. This is worthwhile. This is heartrending. And you know, those habits are very hard to break. And when you do have to clean it up, as you know, we had to do at one point at the federal level, Janice experienced that at the provincial level. Those are really, really hard choices to make, and 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 people do suffer consequences from them. Well, let's maintain your metaphor uh, to a degree. What about the debt dealer? You know, as I mentioned, you know, the foreign sources of funding to finance governments has been a concern for some for quite some time. How do we wean ourselves off that foreign money? to ensure that we retain more fiscal control over our own country, as well as uh, control generally, because there is, of course, part of the fear is, is that money gets repatriated out of nowhere and we are left holding the bag. I don't think that's something that's achievable. When you're borrowing this amount of money, unless you're just going to <laughs> completely squeeze out the private sector, there isn't this, this capacity in Canada. So I don't think any government has a capacity to do that and so you will every every government in the world depends on credit raters and what they say but canada does uh more than some because yes you have to persuade investors in other countries that this is still a stable place to invest and a good place to invest and so with this talk about you know you just if they if they heard our conversation they, they would probably downgrade it further you know let's just keep spending they have, you, credit raters want to hear how you're going to get it under control, what your plan is for the future. They don't want to hear that, well, we're just spending and spending is good. The group is offering multiple fiscal anchors. Of all the levers that a government could pull, imposing limits on program spending growth is seen as the closest at hand. What other levels are there? Well, I think, you know, there are a number that, that uh, were debated. Some people like an absolute target. Um, and the Conservative Party, of course, has come out with that, saying that they'll balance the budget in 10 years. That has the advantage of being clear and understandable by people. And also far enough into the future that voters tend to forget those promises. It's, it's at least, uh, you know, three election cycles into the future. So, uh, and how do you get there? And, you know, if you back in load all hard decisions, um, then you may never get there. Um, some like the debt to GDP ratio. Um, uh, the criticism of it is that uh, the denominator is not controlled by government. 
Some like the program spending uh, criterion because that is fully controlled by government. I understand that David Dodge is suggesting that the, the, it should be a, an interest payment to GDP ratio, which he thinks should not exceed 10%. Um, in my days in government, we started with an interest payments to GDP of 37%, or to, of revenue, sorry, not of uh, GDP, but of revenue. In other words, 37 cents of every tax dollar was going to pay the interest. David thinks it should be limited to 10. We're below that right now, by the way. So that there, there are different ones that you could look at and you can make cases for them. The point that is really important is that there needs to be some anchor. There needs to be some reference point. There needs to be some limit beyond which governments will not go. Otherwise, uh, then anything becomes possible. It's for two main reasons, credit raters need to see an anchor, they, they, they uh, spend, 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 just will, will lead to further downgrades, which leads to higher interest costs, et cetera. And the governments themselves, you know, the government has shown that without an anchor, they're willing to say, well, let's just give money to people and pick a number, even though they're getting more than they did before, and even though we're not using the most cost-effective way to assist people. Uh, so they've shown they need the discipline. And so one of those two, the debt to GDP or uh, program spending to GDP, uh, either would work. This issue around uh, where, we, where we actually raise the money to, to pay for things is a real one. Uh, Janice referenced going into the rating agencies. I mean, I went, uh, my job in the, in the famous 1995 budget, uh, I wasn't in the House of Commons when that budget was delivered. I was in London. And my task was to go around the street and talk to many of the investment firms that bought Canadian bonds. And I'll tell you, that was, that was a day in which uh, I had a good story to tell about what we were going to do. But what I heard from them was, listen, we've been hearing this kind of story from Canada for a decade. You're always going to do better. You always show us these charts with your debt going down and you never achieve it. Why should we believe you this time? That's a tough audience out there. You remember around that time, the Wall Street Journal called us an honorary member of the third world, gave us all of the a set of ratings that showed how badly we're, we were doing. We had a day in which uh, we, were, we had a Canadian government bond auction where we were no bid with 30 minutes to go. These things happen in the real world. And if we think that somehow or other this, you know, this is a miraculous thing that the money can just come from who knows where, we're headed for a very difficult reckoning. John Manley is a former federal finance minister and co-chair of the C.D. Howe Institute's Fiscal and Tax Working Group. Co-chair Janice McKinnon is a former minister of finance for Saskatchewan. Still to come, from a physically distant C.D. Howe, the view from the CDPQ. The cases Charles Eamon discusses leadership, the economic landscape, the role of investors, and his investment approach in the new world of COVID-19. On the 22nd, we ask, is carbon pricing key to a low carbon future? And on the 28th, adapting prudential policy for the new normal with Ben Gully of the Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions. I'm Michael Hainsworth. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy, stay safe. 
You've been listening to the C.D. Howe Institute podcast with Michael Hainsworth. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. The C.D. Howe Institute is an independent, not-for-profit research institute whose mission is to raise living standards by fostering economically sound public policies. The Institute is widely considered to be Canada's most influential think tank and a trusted source of essential policy intelligence, distinguished by nonpartisan, evidence-based research and subject to definitive expert review. Visit cdhow.org and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you.